Hi, hello, and welcome to episode number 44 of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. I am your host, Audie Elmore. Thank you so much for joining us for the first time in what feels like forever. We have a lot to talk about. There has been a lot going on. I have a handwritten list of things that have happened, things to talk about, some points I want to make. Also, on my Instagram on Tuesday, I asked for your most heartbreaking moment as a sports fan. What what changed the way you view sports? What really had an effect on you? What what moment, what game, whatever it was, what changed the way you thought about sports and the way you viewed it? What broke you more than any other moment? And the outpouring, the, the I guess the not the outpouring of support, but the response that I got to that was absolutely insane. I have not I have never in anything I've ever done gotten as much response as I did to that Instagram story asking that question. Um and listen, some of y'all are still hurting. Some of y'all are still hurting. So I'm here to to hopefully uh soothe that over for you. And I am gonna talk about that um at some point. I don't know if I'm I, I might make that into an entirely different episode uh on its own because there's so much to to delve through. I won't be able to get to everyone tonight. Um, but maybe that is a, is, a, is a recurring segment that I bring up somebody's worst moment of their sporting life um, from here on out. Speaking of recurring segments, I said this is episode number 44 of the Ball Don't Lie podcast, which this was an easy one for me. Uh, an athlete that wore number 44 who went by the nickname, one of the best nicknames of all time, the Big Donkey. That's right, the big Houston, Texas native Adam Dunn, former left fielder and first baseman for the Cincinnati Reds, made his MLB debut for the Reds in uh, on July 20th, 2001. He played for the Reds from 2001 to 2008. He also played for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Washington Nationals, Chicago White Sox, and the Oakland Athletics. He was a two-time All-Star in 2002 and in 2012, and he's a member of the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame. Not a great career batting average at 237. He struck out, oh my God, did he strike out quite a bit. But 462 career home runs and over 1,100 career runs batted in for the big donkey, the big Texan, Adam Dunn, one of my all-time favorite Reds. And and people in this city love Adam Dunn. They still do. They always have, uh, and it's my belief that they always will, and um, understandably so because of the type of person that he was and uh, his career in Cincinnati. So that's uh, that's numbers game for this week. And uh, I mentioned I have a- an entire list of things to talk about here, and I'm excited to talk about a few of them because there's some points that I that I want to make. There's some things I want to say here. All right, first and foremost, there's the the news of the week was was Cam Newton, and Cam Cam signed with the New England Patriots on. I think it was Monday afternoon. I forget, I forget even or Monday morning was it? Monday morning Cam signed with the Patriots or Sunday night? It was Sunday night. I keep getting my days confused. All right, I got a lot going on, okay? So Cam Newton signs with the New England Patriots on Sunday night. Right around the same time that the punishment from the NFL gets handed down to the New England Patriots for their role in filming the Bengals sideline in Cleveland last season. We'll revisit that in a moment. But the Cam Newton thing is bothering me already because there are people that seem to think that because Cam Newton 
is now a member of the New England Patriots, that the Patriots are all of a sudden going back to the Super Bowl. I'm not buying that. Cam Newton has not been very good for three years. He's been, eh, I don't know that I'd call him bad, but he hasn't been very good. His numbers might suggest otherwise compared to what I'm saying. I'm just saying based on the eye test. He seems inaccurate. Now, I'll tell you, in 2018, he had a 67% completion percentage, his highest of his career. He also threw less passes in that season than he did any time in his career. So, I think that's interesting. But, just watching Cam Newton the past couple of years, he's got a bad shoulder, he's got a bad ankle, he's been banged up on several occasions, playing hurt, playing under a defensive head coach in Ron Rivera in Carolina, not many weapons around him. And he just hasn't been very good. To me, he hasn't passed the eye test. He hasn't been the same since they lost in the Super Bowl. And I've always enjoyed Cam Newton and liked watching him play, but the last few years he has played, he only played two games last season, but the two years before that, there were just times where it was painful to watch him because he just was struggling and he couldn't seem to, to figure it out, at least to me. And I'm not sitting here acting like I watched every snap of every Carolina Panthers game the last three seasons because I haven't and I won't. But I don't know how you can say that Cam Newton is going into that much better of a situation in New England than he was just in in Carolina. Who does New England have as a legitimate offensive threat? That's what I thought. There's no one on their offense that scares you. Edelman is a fine receiver. Nikhil Harry, we don't know anything about him. What else you got? Their defense is their strength. It always has been. And everyone wants to say, oh, Bill Belichick. What's Bill Belichick going to do with Cam Newton? Listen, I don't I would I would really like to know the last time Bill Belichick stepped foot in an offensive meeting room in New England. That dude does not give a rat's you-know-what about the offense. He coaches the defense, and he lets Josh McDaniels handle the offense. Josh McDaniels, on the other hand, I probably believe he can figure out something with Cam Newton to make him a better quarterback. McDaniels is a really good offensive mind. But the entire time he's been in New England, he's had traditional drop-back passers. Matt Castle, Tom Brady, Brian Hoyer, Jacoby Brissett was a little more mobile than all of those guys, but still, he's a pocket passer. They did good things with each of each of eh, each and every one of them for the most part. Obviously, Brady. When Brady was down or suspended, they made do with those guys, and I think McDaniel's deserves a lot of credit for that. So, what will he do to adapt to the style of quarterback that Cam Newton is? And also make up for the lack of weapons that they have. They they don't have hardly any. I think they signed a receiver this offseason. For some reason, that's just coming into my mind that they signed a halfway decent receiver. But the fact that I can't remember his name probably tells you how much he moves the needle for them on offense. Their division is much improved. The Bills are the best team in that division right now, period, point blank. So I don't think that just because... Cam Newton plays for the Patriots now, that all of a sudden he's 2015 fully healthy Cam Newton that's going to set the league on fire and just lead, just walk the Patriots back to the Super Bowl. Cam Newton is great. I love him, but he ain't Tom Brady. 
and there are growing pains in situations like these. Additionally, with the Patriots, the NFL handed down their punishment for filming the Bengals' sideline last season. The Bengals were terrible. They were playing the Browns. It was early December in Cleveland. And the Patriots film crew said they were filming a documentary series called Do Your Job. Do Your Job is the Patriots' slogan. And members of Bengals security caught these guys filming the Bengals' sideline. It seemed to be a pretty guilty act because of the fact that it just didn't add up with what they were doing. Nothing seemed to make sense with how they did it. They seemed they acted really guilty. They offered to delete all the tape, yada, 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 yada. And when the Patriots have the history in the past that they have, they don't get the benefit of the doubt. And they didn't again this time. They were repeat offenders, and they, they were treated like such by the NFL. Fined $1.1 million, taken away a 2021 third-round draft pick, and the guy in charge of that particular situation has been banned from NFL facilities. The NFL doesn't they, – they don't mess around with this stuff. They're angry, and they don't like it. Not much they can do other than, you know, it's not like they can fire Bill Belichick. But – they can continue to uh, to be, I don't know, the, the firm hand of justice as best they can in these situations. But Belichick will find a loophole. He says he had nothing to do with it. He probably didn't. But at the same time, with what we know, he very well could have. I just think it's interesting that the Patriots decide to leak the news about Cam Newton at the exact same time that the news about them getting punished by the NFL comes out. Seems like a little bit of uh, public relations uh, 101 going on right there. So that's my thoughts on the Cam Newton and the Patriots thing. Don't put them in the Super Bowl already. They're not even the best team in their division, no matter who their head coach is. Major League Baseball is coming back. A lot of teams are reporting today, today being Wednesday, July 1st. And uh, it looks like they're calling it summer camp. And it's going to be interesting. We've already had three or four players in the majors that have opted out of playing this season at all. One of them is Mike Leak, who you might remember a former Cincinnati Red, currently with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Colorado Rockies outfielder Ian Desmond said he's not playing. He's high risk. Ryan Zimmerman is also not playing due to some high-risk issues and members of his family, uh, his wife and kids, and so on and so forth. They have all opted out of playing in the majors this season, Mike Leak was going to make $5 million of the $15 million he was supposed to make. I believe he's going to be a free agent after this year. I could be wrong. Or maybe he just signed that deal with Arizona, one of the two. Either way, it doesn't really benefit him at all uh, in this particular situation uh, to play, and uh, he chose not to, and I don't think any one of his teammates are going to blame him. And in the NBA, they are beginning preparations for their players to head to Orlando. They administered... Uh, over a 1,000 tests over the past couple of weeks. 16 players have tested positive. Avery Bradley from the Lakers and DeAndre Jordan of the Brooklyn Nets are among those who have decided to opt out and not play. Avery Bradley, because of high risk with his son, I believe, or uh, one of his children uh, has asthma or something along those lines. It just doesn't make sense for him. There are a couple other players that aren't playing due to uh, they have custody battles and things with their children or uh, there's been a few players. DeAndre Jordan tested positive for coronavirus, and he said uh, he's not going to risk it and uh, protect his teammates and not play uh, for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, those are all of those. Those are all. Those are two of of uh, more than one. Uh, <laughs> that was a dumb thing to say. Two of more than one. Those are 
two of a handful of players that have decided not to play in the NBA this year. Their schedule has been released. Um, like I said, only a few games until they go right into the playoffs, and uh, it is going to open up with the Lakers and the Clippers. I'm told that they are going to go a little bit over the top with the animations and the way that they present these broadcasts being on Disney's wide world of sports in the campus. There's also concerns about this not being a true bubble in Orlando because of the fact that the Disney workers that work on site and are going to be helping these players and doing this and doing that and running these facilities, they are not quarantined. So they come and go freely as any normal person would. So it's really not actually a bubble because the players are going to be interacting with these people in some way, shape, or form. So there are concerns about that as well. Uh, The Major League Baseball schedule has yet to be announced, even though they said they were going to announce it. All we know for sure is that the first game of the year will be the New York Yankees at the Washington Nationals on July 23rd, and we know that there is going to be a universal DH uh, 100,000%. Sticking to baseball, I have to ask this question. I'm going to talk about this next week because uh, I've already gone for 15 minutes here almost, and... I have to get to some of you people in your sad uh, sad moments in your life and sports. But I see all these people that, that seem to think that the Cubs and the Cardinals are better than the Cincinnati Reds, and that just doesn't make any sense to me. On paper, and I understand the game is not played on paper, I think the Reds have the best division in the, in the NL Central, or the best team in the division, I should say. Their biggest weakness is probably their bullpen, and that's probably the Cardinals' biggest strength. But is that so much to say that the Cardinals are that much better than the Reds in some of these projections I'm seeing? I don't buy that. Milwaukee got worse. They lost two of their best players. Christian Yelich, it's it's unlikely that he can continue to do what he's done. He'll still be a very good player, but to play the way he played last year and obviously only 60 games and them just – not being as good in general because of their pitching and their defense? No way. The Cubs have a first-year manager who's getting ready to manage for the first time in a 60-game season, a global pandemic, and a universal DH in the National League? Come on. The Cubs aren't that good. I think the Reds are far and away the best team in this division. The Reds are lucky, too, because because of this schedule, they're going to play 40 games against their division opponents, which are the Pittsburgh Pirates, Chicago Cubs, St. Louis Cardinals. All right. Am I missing somebody? The Cubs, the Cardinals, the Brewers, the Pirates, and the Reds. Okay, so they're going to play 40 games against those teams and then 20 games against the American League Central, which is the Detroit Tigers, the Minnesota Twins, the Chicago White Sox, and the Cleveland Indians, and the Kansas City Royals. That division stinks. Awful. So the Reds are going to get lucky, but the the bad part is that they, uh, the rest of their division has to play those terrible teams as well. Uh, my point here being that I don't think that there are any teams in the National League Central that are heads and shoulders above the Cincinnati Reds in terms of talent. I'm not one to drink the Kool-Aid. I don't do that. But I know what I know, and I know what I see, and the Reds are the best team in the division. And I also would like for them to win. Uh, The University of Arizona is pausing their plan to bring back student-athletes for workouts after the latest surge of coronavirus cases in Arizona. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I don't think there will be college football this year. I don't think there will be college sports this year. There are rumors now that there are people inside the SEC that are trying to accomplish herd immunity. That's why the numbers of positive tests inside the SEC are skyrocketing. 
because there is a belief that these people, these players, these people within the organizations and these programs are trying to get everyone sick as much as they can so that they develop immunity to the virus and then they would be safer to play football. If that's the case, we have serious, serious issues in more ways than one. But again, I don't think that there will be college football this year. And if there is, it will be very limited and it will be delayed and it will not start on time. By the way, the NFL is not going to start on time. We know that, right? I just don't see that happening. They're gonna, I think they're going to play all their games. I don't think they're going to start on time. Uh, the National Women's Soccer League is the first professional team sport to return after coronavirus. The national anthem protests were what dominated the headlines, unfortunately, because there was some good soccer played over the weekend. I shouldn't say unfortunately because there the the protest is important and it's it's good that that's getting attention. Um, but the when I say unfortunately, I mean the fact that people were fighting over this still, and that's just that's an issue that can't happen. Um, unfortunately, we just continue to do that over and over again because we have we have problems. Um, Martha Ford, by the way, Rose Lavelle scored for the Washington Spirit. I think that's – is that the Washington Spirit? Is that their name? Or is that the WNBA team? I should get my stuff straight before I record a podcast, huh? I have I have a piece of paper in my hand. That's all I have. Normally I have the laptop, and I'm going to get the laptop in a minute, but I just have a piece of paper. Can you hear that? Yeah. I mean, come on. Old school. Martha Ford. Speaking of old school, Jesus. Martha Ford has stepped down as the Detroit Lions owner. Her daughter, Sheila, takes over. This is uh, probably happy news for a lot of Detroit Lions fans because Martha Ford – a sweet woman, a very smart woman, has not done a very good job running a football franchise for quite some time, and Lions fans hate her and ask her to sell the team every chance they get. So she's not selling the team, but her daughter's taking over, and hey, maybe the change in that sense is a good thing. So let's take a breath. Let's switch gears. Moving over now to Instagram, and I appreciate your questions last week, and I appreciate the uh, the conversation that we were all able to have uh, over there, but I did ask earlier this week, and if you don't follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Audie Elmore, A-U-T-Y-E-L-M-O-R-E, and uh, you can check out my stories, and I posted a story this week, and I said, what is the most heartbreaking moment of your sports life? What is the moment that you just really were just, you were just all beat up by, and, and what broke you? And the reason I, I asked this question is because I had a conversation with some guys I work with and we were talking about the 2015 Bengals-Steelers game. And as you can imagine, I had one, two, three, four, five, six, I think seven people mention that game to me on Instagram. And the words you're going to hear people say, <laughs> unbelievable. The 2012 NLDS, the Reds and the Giants was brought up. 2015 Michigan at Ohio State in that rainy slugfest at Ohio Stadium where Zeke Elliott got the ball 10 times and then called out the coaching staff afterward. The 2020 college football playoff, Ohio State and Clemson, a handful of these. People are devastated. The 2001 World Series, when the Yankees blew, uh, Mariano Rivera blew a save in Game 7, and they lost right after 9-11. 2007 BCS National Championship game. 2019 AFC wildcard round when the Bills gave up a 16-point lead to the Houston Texans. Super Bowl twenty-three. The 2017 NCAA tournament, first round. Ronda Rousey and Holly Holm. These are all things that happened. These are all moments that uh, that you guys said to me. 
And I, I basically would ask everyone after they would tell me something, I, I would ask them, you know, describe how you felt at the time. And some of the, the words that people said, they were, they were honestly heartbreaking. So one of the first replies I got was about Ronda Rousey and Holly Holm. This person was a big Ronda Rousey fan, loved Ronda Rousey. This, was a, this is what she said. I was seriously devastated, completely shocked, and at a loss for words. She was the first athlete I ever really admired, loved, and followed. She was inspiring to me and really set the tone for women in the UFC. Dang, that's kind of deep, man. Y'all got so deep with me. Here's one talking about 2017 NCAA tournament first round Dayton losing to Wichita State. He said, I was angry in three parts. He said there were three parts to it. I was angry because we shouldn't have been playing them to begin with. I was even more angry because we had them beat. And then the third one, absolute sorrow at knowing the winningest class in Dayton history was gone. Part three lasted over a month. Mm, mm, mm. Somebody described the 2015 Bengals-Steelers playoff game as distraught. I felt like I was having a heart attack. I was mad for three weeks straight. I went from on top of the world. This is a different person. I went from on top of the world to absolute heartbreak and misery. It would have been bad enough to happen against any other team, but to happen against the Steelers, it was devastating. Mm, mm, mm. What else we got on this 2015 Bengals game? I thought the game was sealed. I started talking trash to my Steelers friends. I was embarrassed. I was broken. I ripped my Bengals shirt in half that night. Wow. See what else we got talking about this particular game. I watched it at a friend's house and had a 15-minute drive home and literally blared sad music. And when I got home, I instantly threw my perfect jersey away. I don't know if I was upset or angry at them, but I knew ever since then they wouldn't be the same team. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. This is where I was coming from because I talk all the time about turning points. And that was a turning point in the Bengals organization that they have not since they, they could not recover from until a couple months ago when they drafted Joe Burrow. That's the next turning point. But it was a turning point for me as a fan because I think my friends and anyone that watches sports with me would tell you I'm pretty chill. I'm a pretty calm person watching sports. I get fired up at times, but very rarely do I raise my voice. Very rarely do I complain. Very rarely do I yell at the TV. And I used to be much more like that until 2015. Until that playoff game. And I watched that game at, at my friend's house. And I watched it in the basement with surrounded by all the people I love in my life. And I remember, I, I don't even really remember that much of it because I've tried to block it out of my brain. But my friend said that I cried that night. I don't remember crying. I probably had a single tear down my cheek. But you know what's sad about that 2015 Bengals playoff game? as you hear my chair chair squeaking most likely, is that <laughs> as soon as Vontez Perfect intercepted that pass from Ben Roethlisberger and ran the ball into the tunnel, 
I knew that the Bengals were going to lose the game because he acted like he hadn't been there before. And in Vontez Burfick's defense, he hadn't been there before. From that point on, I was broken as a Bengals fan. So I wanted to know, you know, I just wanted to know what, what are moments that broke you as sports fans? And listen, I have a big list here, and I, I can't get to everybody, and I'm already coming up on half an hour already, so I'm not going to stick around forever and, and do this. But I'm going to try to single some moments out and talk about it. I had a, a somebody that played on the 20 – I got a lot of people talk about the 2016 Ohio State-Clemson college football playoff game where Ohio State got rocked 31 to nothing. I had somebody that played on that team that replied to that and said that as a player, that was his biggest heartbreak. I, I wanted to ask him about the 2015 Michigan State game because that was another one that a couple people said. That one had to hurt as well. I can't imagine the feeling as a player. But 31 nothing Clemson over Ohio State, that stung. A lot of people still fresh in their memories the most recent college football playoff, Ohio State versus Clemson. One person said, I was devastated. I felt like I was in a dream. I sobbed and I slammed my door and I went to bed. Hmm. So those are just a few. And I'm gonna I think I'm I think what I'm gonna do to I think I might make this a segment. Your biggest heartbreak, and I'm just gonna talk about one person's story or a couple people's story. Uh, each week moving forward uh, until I run out of them because I have a lot of them to talk about. So I think that's a good idea. I think that's what I'll do. I'll continue to make the list. And uh, as I'm saying this right now, I just got two more. One of them about the Oakland Raiders. One of them about the NHL lockout. So we've got everything. We've got everything. So I'm going to talk about all those things. And – yeah, coming forward. I am I'm going to talk more Reds next week. I do want to dive into the NL Central a little bit, see what we learn uh, or what we have learned from the first week of Red Summer Camp. It is going to be the 4th of July this weekend, so I hope you have a happy, fun, and safe 4th of July. I know that I'm heading home to spend some time with my family and my friends and to, to just hang out for a little bit, so I'm excited about that. Um. Yeah, so I hope I know that I may have hyped this up a little more than I should have because I was just overwhelmed by the amount of people that responded. So I knew that I couldn't just like I knew that I had to go further than just bring it up a little bit. So this will be a recurring segment going forward. So I hope you don't feel cheated. I hope that this brings you back to another episode of the Ball Don't Lie podcast because we do this every Wednesday. And by the way, uh, some information about that. You may have heard an ad. Some of you may have heard an ad. At the start of this podcast, I switched the podcast host site over to Anchor FM, which gives me opportunities to spread the podcast to more platforms. It's going to be on Google Podcasts soon. Uh, It's already on Overcast. It's over on uh, a different – it's on Apple, Spotify, Overcast. It's going to be on Google, and I think there's one more that it's going to be on as well. so that obviously gives me an opportunity to do that. It gives me a chance to read some advertisements and try to make a little bit of money just doing this because that would be cool. Why not? Who doesn't want to make some money? Um, and all of those things. So I just wanted to to hear if you were confused or if you heard that. Uh, that's what that is. And uh, I will be tweeting out the Anchor link and posting it on Twitter and Facebook and uh, on Instagram. And that's going to be the main link I use from here on out 
to drive people to that link um, for you for listening to the podcast. You can still listen to it on if you listen to it on Apple and Spotify. Keep doing that. Don't feel like you have to change. Uh, nothing should change on your end at all. Uh, but again, I am consistently blown away by the amount of support that I get from people that listen to this podcast. And uh, I appreciate you spending half an hour every week with me. It's uh, kind of crazy to me um, that so many people still do that. And uh, I hope to um, keep going and make this thing better each time. I feel like I get better each time. Sometimes, you know, you just kind of poop the bed and other times you don't. But hey, hang with them if you know what I mean. So, hey, appreciate you listening. Um, Next week, like I said... Reds baseball, we're going to talk about baseball in general, and uh, God knows whatever the hell is going to happen between now and then. Have a happy and safe 4th of July. Remember, when you're messing with those fireworks, when you're flipping them burgers, when you're in the pool, ball don't lie. Have fun. Be safe. Go Bucks.